0: I made business promises to myself and I would do them every day, every week. A promise to reach out to a potential client, interior designer, furniture company, whatever, to have a meeting with them and show them my work. And I did that every single week, no matter what.
1: Hi friends, you're listening to Art & Magic, a podcast where we connect all things practical, magical, and really real when it comes to walking the artist's path. I'm your host, Devin Walls, painter, mentor, and dreamer. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's get into today's episode. Welcome back, everyone. We're here at the second official interview. And this episode in particular is really jam-packed with actionable, practical tips and advice for selling more of your art and getting it out into the world. The special guest of the hour is Linda Coletta, And I was just floored with how generous she was with her experience, her story, and her knowledge. She really pulled back the curtain on exactly how she got into the interior design market and exactly how she started selling art, all of which I know will be very appreciated by you if you're somebody who wants to do the same thing. I know as an artist myself, particularly in my earlier years, I would look out at these other successful artists and think to myself, but how? Like, but how are you really making money? How are you selling such expensive pieces? Where did you meet those people? And so because of that, I really wanted to offer you an episode that would answer those questions specifically. I think you're really going to dig Linda's energy. She's really a go-getter and a hustler, and she's very real about what it's taken her to get where she is. And I found that very inspiring. Um, It's really this attitude of like, hey, if I can do it, you can do it, but you really have to put the work in and you really have to show up. And I felt like she was such a wonderful embodiment of that. So some of the juicy ground that we cover in this episode is the defining thing that nudged Linda to start painting and make a big career leap, what you really need to understand if you're just a couple months into the journey of being an artist. We also touched on the dance between being a fine artist and a commercial artist or designer, I particularly loved Linda's perspective on this. It might have been one of my favorite parts of the conversation. All of the practical details on how Linda transitioned into being a full-time working artist, that includes the business stuff, the commitments she made, the outreach emails she wrote, hustle, and all. She also talked about the journey of being self-taught and what that has and hasn't meant for her career as an artist. And we also talked about what it's like for her to exhibit at Burning Man, which was a really fun part of this conversation. So if you don't already know her, Linda Coletta has been creating art in various mediums for over 25 years and first translated her passion for art into a career as a scenic painter in the television industry, all before dedicating herself full-time to painting professionally. Her artistic approach as an abstract expressionist creates vibrant and uplifting works for designers and individual collectors. Linda is self-taught and works from her studio in Bridgeport, Connecticut. So you might want to get a pen and paper for this one, or at least plan on listening a couple times because you're definitely going to walk away with some practical, actionable steps for your own art career path. Okay, without further ado, let's get into the episode. All right. Hi, Linda. I am so excited to have you here and to talk to you. Um, Thank you so much for coming on the Art and Magic podcast to share a little bit of the behind the scenes of your your artist life with us.
0: Thank you. I'm excited
1: to be here. Awesome. (laughs) So I was thinking that maybe we could start with just a little bit about your journey into becoming a working artist. I'm wondering if there was like a defining moment that maybe led you to take your work serious enough to pursue it, or if it was a little bit of a slow unfolding into becoming a professional artist. Um, anything you want to share about that process?
0: Sure. Um, there's a lot I can say about it. Um, I I've always been a professional artist, actually, mm-hmm. um, but not always making my own work. So I actually started out um, when I was about 19 which was in 1993 um, as a scenic artist in New okay. York City. And so I painted backdrops and did set design work um, for the music television industry and like worked for MTV and VH1 and all these fun places. But I was, I was painting, uh, but for set design and set okay. designers and things like that. Um, I did that for many, many years Then I had a baby and I moved to Connecticut and got out of the production industry um, and dabbled in visual merchandising and graphic design. And I was even a yoga teacher for a few minutes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then the defining moment was actually when I was a visual merchandiser um, at a big furniture store. I kept seeing all of this artwork coming in and out of the store. And I kept looking at the artwork and looking at what was selling and kept thinking to myself, my God, I, I want to paint. I could paint that. Like Mm. why aren't I painting? And it just kept plaguing me. Um, And then fortunately and unfortunately I got Lyme's disease. Oh
1: wow.
0: Yeah. And it hit me hard and I basically had to quit working and was kind of like out of commission. And the only thing I could really do was paint. And Mm -hmm. so I just was in my basement and I just started playing around and there was a show coming up in my town. And I decided, what the hell, I'm gonna just apply. And I got in. And, and that was the, that was the moment. Like I had this Mm -hmm. deadline, and I wanted to do good work, and so I started really working and creating, you know, a handful of pieces for this little show, um, did the show, sold work right away, and then I was just like, oh my God, I, this is what I need to do. This is everything I, oh, I've always wanted to do and never felt secure or safe enough to do you know, because everyone mm-hmm. always says, like, you'll never make a money, any money as an artist, you mm-hmm. know. Um, but I did right away. And so I decided they're wrong. <laughs> <laughs>
1: and um, and that was it. That was the defining moment. I love that. There's a couple elements I want to just mention in that story. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't know that piece about getting Lyme disease and that kind of being the, you know, it's often the catalyst, something Mm. like that for a big change. And, um, I'm kind of just like not smiling to myself because that's, I wouldn't wish that on anybody, but at the same time, that's, I've been a bit of a theme here on the show. That's a little bit part of my story in my own Mm. way and a previous guest on the podcast. So I'm just kind of thinking about how we often don't hear that piece behind the scenes and it's often such a struggle. But what you said about, you know, the only thing I could do was paint. Um, I think that that's a common thread. So I'm, I'm really glad that, that, that came out. Um, and yeah, so, okay. So you got into the show and you sold work right away and then I'm kind of wondering like, okay, so a little bit of what did that look like? What did that like financial transition look like? Um, you're like, I'm going to do this. Were you the kind of person that was just like, I'm taking a big leap or what was the learning curve there? Any, any little gems you can share from that, that piece? Yeah.
0: Well, yeah, it was a big leap. Um, mm-hmm. And so I had to have a sit down with my husband mm-hmm. <laughs> and really get his buy in to mm-hmm. let me pursue this. And, you know, money was really tight and it was hard, you know, because um, even though I sold work, it you know, it was like 500 bucks or something, yeah. you know what I mean? It wasn't going to pay the mortgage. Right. Um, so it was a good. 8 to 12 months before i really had some steady income coming in and it was tough it was really tough but i um i have a business background like as a mm-hmm. when you work in production you're used to deadlines and budgets and you know like you're running your own little business and yeah. and i was a freelancer so i knew how to hustle too i mm-hmm. knew how to like reach out, meet, meet people, like talk to people, get work, look for work, all of that. So I used all of that to really uh, focus on my business of art. The, the art was just flowing out of me, right? Like mm-hmm. it, it was like as if a dam on a river was broken. So there was no like me trying to paint, right? Like I couldn't stop painting. Like it was just, that
1: part I got down.
0: (laughs) That part was good. Right. And then I was, I wanted to make a living at it. So I really focused in on the business of it. And I, I did some really basic things, um, that made it all happen. So like, first of all, I made a budget. And I made sales goals for myself, mm. like the literal amount of money I wanted to make every month. Mm-hmm. And I was like increasing month over month, like just like you would run a business, I made yeah. like strategy. Um, I made a list of every single person, every interior designer, every gallery, every, everyone in my local area that I should reach out to, mm. send my work to, have a meeting with. And I had a promise, that I made, you know, like, I made business promises to myself, and I would do them every day, every week. Um, Mm -hmm. A promise to reach out to a potential client, interior designer, furniture company, whatever, architectural company, um, to have a meeting with them and show them my work. And I did that every single week, no matter what.
1: Wow, that's very impressive. I love Um,
0: that. I also had a promise to paint every single day, no matter what, even if it was just like the stupidest little doodle. Um, I made a promise to post to Instagram every single day, no matter what, same thing. Um, And you know, a handful of others where I just got really disciplined about building my business, building my business, building it, building it, building it. And it was scary. Like who wants to like call some random person and be like, hi, I'd like to show you my work. Yeah. Um, but for the most part, they were like, Oh my God, that's awesome. Cause most people don't do it, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, and I got really educated about my local community. Um, I live in Fairfield County, Connecticut, and there's a huge interior design, com- uh, community here and a lot of people redecorating their homes. And so there was a lot of opportunity for business and, mm. I went to events, I, I went to um, mostly events. I don't really do networking <laughs> things, mostly events and where I would just like meet people and talk to them about my art. And one thing would lead to the no- another. And sometimes it wasn't a direct result of that conversation but they would recommend me to somebody else. And then it just grew from there mm. to the point where I could fully support myself. Yeah. yeah.
1: I love hearing all of that. <laughs> no, there was a real process that went into yeah. making I this happen. I think it's like,
0: I think it's the thing that most people, a lot of artists, don't want to deal with. They mm-hmm. they know it. But they're really hoping it's just gonna happen some other magical way. Totally.
1: <laughs> like the magic art fairy is gonna come to your front door. <laughs> right.
0: You know, or like the gallery's gonna call and you're yep. gonna sell
1: all <laughs> your work, you know?
0: And I don't know, I just I mean, of course I wanted that, but I was also hungry for mm. making it happen for myself. Yeah. Um, and I can talk more about what I've learned since then too, about all that, but i I didn't want to wait for anyone to discover me. You know, I Mm -hmm. just wanted to get out there and and sell. Yeah. Um, Yeah.
1: Awesome. Okay. So I do have a couple specific questions. I'm glad that came up. Um, So I did really notice that you do have a very big presence with designers and in the design world. And so that story really pulls it together. Like your local community, that really works for you when you're talking about reaching out to people, if you're open to sharing, I would love to hear like, mean, you were pretty specific, but I'm extra curious, like what did those emails and phone calls look like, like to get those meetings? And then when you got yeah. to the meeting, like what have you learned really lo- works best in those situations and how to approach that?
0: Um, well, I did it many different ways. Each Each time it's like a little bit different because whoever you're talking to wants to experience your work in a different way, I f- kind of found. But mm-hmm. um, one of the first things I did was a mailing um, and I put mm-hmm. together a little catalog of the, the work I had available and I mailed it out to like 50 local designers. Okay. And um, with like a, a nice note and it was around the holidays too, I think. And so I was just like, introduce myself you know, here's my work. I would love to have a meeting with you if you'd like to come to my quote unquote studio, which was still my basement at that time, Mm. (laughs) which was mortifying for me, but I still invited them anyway, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And that's part of it, like just getting over your fears and your preconceived notions and thinking everything has to be perfect before I ever talk to this person. I like made myself get over that fast um, and so, uh, you know, one or two of those turned into an actual meeting, um, one of which was a local store owner um, here in Connecticut. Um, it doesn't exist anymore, but it was called Dovecote, um, a woman uh, by the name of Sarah Kaplan who owned it, and um, she came to my basement, and she loved my work, and she picked out like five pieces to put on consignment in her store and that was like one of my first big breaks i i mm-hmm. or you know whatever you are gonna say um mm-hmm. because it was a very popular store and everyone would go to shop there and so people started mentioning to me like oh i saw your work in dub code i saw it there you know
1: mm-hmm. so that
0: was one way that it happened um I also just sent personal emails to designers that I admired and I would do my research. I would look at their work and, you know, have an understanding of their design aesthetic. I would only um, pitch my work to designers whose aesthetic matched, not matched, but was a fit with mine. Like I'm an abstract artist. It's very modern, super colorful. And so I wasn't, I was clear who my demographic was, you know? Um, And so I would only go after more modern designers, contemporary, funky, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And um, so I would send out personal emails and it would just, it was just very simple. I would just say, hi, I'm Linda, I'm, I'm an artist. I would attach, you know, my bio. I had a link to my website. Um, and I just said, I would love to meet with you and talk about working together and have coffee and I I can tell you more about my work. I could, and then I would even offer to bring a few pieces with me to their studio or whatever they wanted to do. Mm -hmm. Um, and I did, I did that. I would bring work to design studios or wherever. Um, and same with clients, like I would get introduced to people like individual collectors. And um, I would always follow up with them. And I would offer to bring work to their home, like anything they were Mm. interested in. And I would shove it in my car or, you know, would even rent a truck. Um, Because to me, it was all worth it. Like it was all building the future. And, you know, even if it cost me a 100 bucks to get a truck and get it there and schlep it and schlep it back. And even if they didn't buy anything, I still felt like it was worth it because it was, it was going to come back to me in some way, somehow. And it did. Um, And, um, you know, nowadays I mostly have studio visits um, because I have a big, beautiful studio that that you can see. No one else can see it, but it's, Gorgeous. But they can go to your Instagram, which I yes, totally recommend. <laughs> they can totally see it there. Studio porn. Yes. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I just encourage people to come here all the time because they're they're so inspired to see and all you know, all my work is here. Um, but I still bring work to clients' homes and hustle. Like I'm always hustling, you know. Mm. Um, but for me, like how I did it was just very honestly and authentically. It wasn't like I was trying to be something I wasn't. It was just like, Hey, I'm Linda. I love your work. I think you'll love my work. Let's have coffee. Mm. You know?
1: Yeah. And that was it. <laughs> <laughs> totally. And 2 I'm imagining, um, you probably got a lot of like non-responses and a lot of like for every email you sent out or I'm imagining there were many emails sent out for every meeting that happened or sale that actually occurred too. Oh yeah, like
0: (laughs) a lot. And you can't take it personally, you know? I mean, it takes a while to learn that, but what specifically with interior designers, what I have learned is that um, first of all, they're crazy busy, and they've got mm. fourteen projects happening at once, and twenty-seven crazy clients, and you know mm-hmm. they're just like, ah! and um, and they they um, what's the word? They um, I don't know how to explain it, but they're like just looking for what they're looking for when yeah. they're looking for it, right? right? And so you just have to hit them in the right moment. So if you send them your work but they're in the middle of like i don't know some project in guatemala or i don't know and it's just they don't need it for that project in that moment you're not going to hear from them but if you continue to follow up and just um you know keep showing them like i just create you know just finished this new body of work i just finished this new body of work at some point you you hit the timing just right. And they're like, oh my God, I was just looking for that for a client. That's perfect. Let me come see it. So persistence is important, but not like annoying. Right. But I just got in the rhythm of pretty much every three months or so, I would just email out, you know, all the designers that I wanted to work with a new body of work. Like, Based on what, you know, just wanted to show you my new work. Um, maybe you're working on something right now where this is a fit. Let me know. And then sometimes that would turn into a direct sale. And then sometimes they would finally get back to me after, you know, I've emailed them eight times already. And they'd mm-hmm. be like, actually, I'm really ready to come see. Like, I finally have a minute, you know? Yeah. Um, so I just don't, I don't take it personally. I think people are just like busy you know, and overwhelmed and just trying to get through their day,
1: you know? Yeah. It's Um, not a sign that they don't like your work or don't want to work with you. It's just a timing thing. And I think that's an important mention, especially for the interior design piece. Yeah. To keep following up with the new work. Yeah. 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 Love that. So something else on that working with designers note that I'm curious about, Mm -hmm. you said that you only sought out designers that, um, you know, like vibe with your style. And I'm curious, you know, doing so much work that is for design, how you keep your own creative process separate from maybe those kind of desires or that influence, you know, like if you see, or or if that inspires your process, like, is Mm. it like, I think that this will look good in this kind of scenario, or do you try to keep your art separate from that kind of thinking? How does that play out? Like your artistic truth versus like merging your work in the design world? Does that play a role at all? In the very beginning,
0: I saw the interior design community as a, as a real potential place to sell my work.
1: Mm-hmm. And,
0: um, and not that I wasn't interested in being in galleries, and I totally was and am. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I also just, I wanted to sell Mm-hmm. so that I could buy more paint and canvas so I could keep painting. That was yes. the goal. Totally <laughs> <Right>? get it. <laughs> yeah. And so selling was really important, you know,
1: and I, and I think that's an important
0: point for all artists. You need to sell your work so you can keep painting. Yeah,
1: there's no work without any money. It's just kind of the way it is. Yeah. It's,
0: <laughs> it's really depressing, right? Yeah. Um, so I, I went after the design community because I knew I could sell there. And then, yes, at the very beginning, I got um, overwhelmed with like, oh, my God, I need to paint in these colors. I need mm-hmm.
1: to,
0: you know, like it needs to match their rug, you know, <laughs> uh-huh. and my work got really tight and stiff mm-hmm. in the very beginning. And I was miserable and everything felt like a struggle. And um, I was still selling, but I wasn't satisfied with my work. I was still also like at the, you know, I hadn't really painted for myself in 20 years. So I was still also really in the very beginning of a learning curve for myself of what I wanted to paint. What was my vision? What is my style? What, what do I care about? What am I trying to say? Like mm. all of this, you know? So it was kind of like double-headed. I had to, on one hand, just let myself be in my process, like figuring out what I'm figuring out knowing that I'm like a baby as an artist, you know, and I've gotten nowhere yet. Um, and then at the same time, painting to sell and wanting to sell. Um, but yeah, there was some pressure for, uh, uh, that I put on myself about like colors and, and things like that. And then at some point I, um, I just got over it because mm. I, it was too limiting. Um, and I just was like, I just want to paint whatever I want to paint. I'm just going to use whatever colors I want to use. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, and honestly, that was like, it was like three years in, like there was like two to three years of struggling to paint the way I thought they wanted me to paint.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, and then I just said, F this. And I was like, I'm just going to paint whatever I want to paint. Um that said, you know, do I care about what colors I'm using? Totally. Like I want them to be pleasing. Like the essence of my art is to be uplifting
1: yeah.
0: and pleasing and delicious. And, you know, like I name a lot of my paintings, like mint chocolate chip. Like I want people to want to yeah. eat my paintings, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, but I got to say the minute I stop doing that, and I, and the big turning point was I just wanted to paint in fluorescent pink. Mm, it, you know, that. like I just love <laughs> fluorescent pink and I kept stopping myself. Like who's going to put yeah. fluorescent pink in their house? Yeah, like, I have these thoughts. Right. <laughs> I
1: totally get it. Yeah.
0: And I was like, you know what? I don't care. I'm going to do it. And I started painting these fluorescent hot pink paintings and people flipped out, they loved them and they Mm. bought them. And then I was like, oh, okay, I'm on to something here. And then ever since then, the more I just do whatever I want to do, the more paintings I sell. It's just, it's just kind of funny, you know? Mm. Um, So I just utterly trust myself now and it seems to work. And every time I go back to that place of like, like I have the thoughts all the time, you know, I'm like, oh, I should, I should paint some quieter paintings, yeah. you know, like some subdued, you know, people want to feel Zen. Yeah, I want to make
1: zen it, vibe. Yeah, you know,
0: and then it's like, I try. And then it's like, yeah, no, I got to like scribble all over this and throw some fluorescent yellow on it. And you know, like, it just, it just, it, you gotta just let whatever wants to come out, come out and trust it. And that's mm. what I do.
1: I love all of that, and it's <laughs> so relatable for me personally, and I'm sure many others who will be listening to this, Yeah. Um, but I love kind of like the moral of that, which is that like, yeah, I mean, people, and I love too, like, I love neutral colors and and soft watercolor pieces, and I so appreciate that kind of art, and if I did that, I don't think it would be my thing, and so yeah. I don't think it will be as alive and do as well, and so yeah. I, I love the moral of that, which is that like the more that I just trust and even if it needs to be fluorescent, like there's a place for that. And it's, yeah. that's my best bet for yeah, doing well. Yeah. So oh, totally. thank you for sharing that. Um, So, okay. I kind of want to um, slight, slight transition into curiosity around some of these big collectors that you have. Like I saw Justin Bieber has one of your paintings and what's a little more exciting to me than that is Dr. Mark Hyman, <laughs> because I also really like it um and i'm wondering i am kind of curious about those stories specifically but then i think my bigger question is what's been um you know your most effective way for connecting with not necessarily famous collectors but collectors who are willing and desiring higher price point pieces um
0: well a couple of different answers um First of all, Mark Hyman is a dear friend of mine. Oh, that's and, so cool. <laughs> and, has, yeah, and has been for, I don't know, 10 years. Okay. So, and I met him through my best friend, Lauren Zander, um, who's the founder of Handel Group, which is a life coaching company. And um, he's her coach. And I, we're, we're okay. all fam- we're so family. We're fam. You're connected.
1: <laughs> yeah, I just
0: happen to be connected to him. Okay.
1: Um, <laughs> and he
0: loves my work and, and owns my work. Um, and I actually did a very special piece for him in commemoration of his sister who passed away. That was the Mm. first piece I did for him and, um, and a few others after that. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's, that's one you could just chalk up to luck, you know? Got it. Um, then Justin Bieber, oh my God, I don't know how to feel about that. It's so (laughs) conflicting. Um, he found me on Instagram stop yeah that's wild I know (laughs) um the power of Instagram man I I utterly love that platform um he found me on Instagram he anonymously bought a piece for me I didn't know it was him um until he posted a story of it in his house he like did this tour of his house and there was my (laughs) painting and I was like (laughs) like 50 of my friends did he tag you in it no, he didn't oh. tag me.
1: Um,
0: but like, what was even funnier about it was I found out, like, so many of my friends follow Justin Bieber. <laughs> and I'm like, why are you following Justin Bieber? You're like I would have never known. <laughs> I know. But like, 50 of my friends reach out and they're like, your work's on Justin Bieber's story? Um, so we, you know, it was very exciting. And, you know, everyone was freaking out. Um and but nothing came of it you know like that was it he bought my work he posted it and the end it's not like anything changed yeah (laughs) you know yeah okay Um, but it's nice you know it's a nice accolade and um but at the same time you know i mean he's cool i'm not (laughs) gonna bad mouth justin Bieber. he's done pretty good for himself
1: You know, well, just kind of like um, a wild thing. And, and so random the way I actually really enjoy totally that. That's the random. story. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: So we, we can chalk that one up to just complete randomness <laughs> and the power of Instagram. Love it. Um, yeah. And then um, other collectors. Um, um, well, I do work with a gallery, Uprise Art,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, and they've placed my work in many institutions and, you know, big, um, bigger collectors, hotels, apartments, buildings, you know, things like that. Um, So that's one way that I do it through galleries. Um, And then, I I mean, it's mostly just me um, promoting myself Mm. on Instagram, mostly. I mean, honestly, at this point, I'd say a good seventy percent of the people who find me are finding me on Instagram, even locally. Oh wow! Um, so it's just for me a very powerful marketing tool, um, and yeah, I mean, big collectors have found me on Instagram and have you know commissioned me or purchased work for my inventory, and that's mostly how it's happening. Yeah, and you know, friends of you know every every client. Potentially leads to another client because they tell their friend about it. I mean, that's happened so many times. Or I do a commission for someone, and then their friend loves it and wants to commission me. Mm. Um, So you know, one thing always leads to another, for sure. Which is why it's so important to be great with your clients and take really good care of them, make sure they're happy, and go above and beyond. Mm. Um, I I feel like it's another mistake that artists make, they have one commission and they like, I don't know, they clench onto it or something and they, I don't know, like, let me say it this way. I just believe in um, generosity and like just making it happen, making someone happy. Not like I'm going to sell myself short, but like, you know, like let's say a person wants this giant painting and they only have four grand Mm -hmm. but really I would charge six grand for that painting but they only have four grand I a lot of times not so much anymore but Mm -hmm. um a lot of times I'd be like great four grand it's yours you know and Mm -hmm. I just like blow their mind and just like pay it forward right yeah And then that just comes back to me tenfold, right? Like then they tell their friends and, you know, so I just really believe in paying it forward and putting it out there and just making it happen, making people, making my clients happy and feel well taken care of. And then it all always comes back to me tenfold,
1: Mm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really good point. It's almost like, igniting the fire of excitement in the collectors of your work, because then that will spread. So it's like, yeah. however you do that, and whether that's through generosity, or just yeah. your beautiful work, or or whatever. Yeah, um,
0: yeah and I like feel that. like, you know, artists can forget that it's a business. Yep, totally. And they need to get, make their clients happy. Like, just mm-hmm. like, you know, you go to a restaurant, and you want to have a good meal, and you want to be served, and you want to you know, when you ask for something, they bring it right back to the table immediately, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like it's the same thing, you know, like yeah. the client, it's not the other way around, right? Like the client is not serving you, you're serving the client, you know? So mm-hmm. again, I feel like I learned a lot of that from my production days and just understanding service, yeah. you know, like you get the director what he wants when he wants it, you know, or she, mm-hmm. um, like. So, I just always operate that way with my clients and yeah. it pays off.
1: Yeah, totally. Yeah. Thank you for sharing all that. I think that that is an important the business piece, the customer service piece, like, you know, if that's what we're going to call it. But yeah, it is that. It is. Um, yeah. I love all that. I, do, I am just have like one curiosity. Mm-hmm. So with Uprise, because I have seen them around and I love who they curate. Did they reach out to you or did you reach out to them? I'm so just curious about how that process has worked for you.
0: Yeah, they reached out to me okay. um, five years ago, six years ago.
1: Okay. Okay. And so I it's had so long-standing. a long standing. Yeah. Yeah. And I had mm-hmm. an interview
0: with them and then I, they you know, took on a body of work and I've been with them ever since.
1: Okay, love it. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I always—it's a great place to personally shop for work. So yeah. Uh, yeah, I love that. Cool. Yeah. Okay, so one little piece uh, within your story that I'm—I'm I'm curious about how it's maybe played out is I know that you're self-taught, mm. and um, I'm self-taught as well, and I'm wondering. If you have experienced any advantages versus disadvantages with that, if at any point you've ever had insecurities with being self-taught, and if so, um, you know, have you moved through those? Or, mm. or maybe it just like hasn't been a thing for you at all. Um, I'm just wondering if there's anything there that you could speak to.
0: Sure. Well, let's see. <laughs> Sorry, that was I kind said. of many questions in uh, one. <laughs> no, it's okay. Um, I mean, first of all, yeah, I've had a lot of insecurity about being self-taught. Um, mm. Especially in the beginning, and but at the same time, I'm self-taught. But both my parents were artists. Mm,
1: that's helpful.
0: Yeah. And I did do a year at Parsons School of Design mm.
1: and dropped
0: out as soon as possible.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I had like literally the worst experience of my life in art school. Mm. Um, and um, but yeah, there was a, there was a lot of insecurity around being self-taught for a couple of reasons. One is that I, even though I work with a lot of interior designers, I um, also work with galleries and submit my work to many shows and exhibitions. And I have an intention to be represented by galleries and um, you know, like my big dream is to be like in the Whitney Biennial, right? Like who doesn't want that? Yeah. so, I want my work to be taken seriously and and i i mean the big thing I've struggled with this is a little off topic, but you know how do I sell work and and still be taken seriously and not be seen as like a a decorative artist
1: perfectly on topic yes
0: <laughs> and i've you know struggled with that for a while, and it's um And at first I really was okay and just let it be okay that I I really was a commercial artist. Like I was really Mm -hmm. focused on interior design. Um, I was selling prints on One King's Lane um, and I was just hustling for money. Yeah, Because I also knew in the background that I was still a really green painter Mm -hmm. and I, and I needed to grow as an artist and I needed to find my voice and I needed to really get some years behind me, you know, just cause you throw paint on a canvas. Sorry. I don't think that makes you, <laughs> I mean, sh- I don't think that makes you an artist. I'm sorry. I'm just yeah. going to say it. Right. Yeah. Like I think there's so much more depth to being an artist and yeah. it's not just paint on a canvas. It's yeah. art history. It's art philosophy. It's color theory. It's, Figure drawing, it's all, you know, like I have ta- literally taught myself. Like, no, I didn't go to school, but I have read so many books, have done so many classes, so many lectures. You know, I study people, I've studied people on Instagram, I'm watching, I'm learning from them, I'm, you know, going to shows and going to like I am a student of art. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, really wanted my work to be taken seriously, but also knew I had a lot of work to do and that I wasn't actually even ready for anyone to take my work seriously. Cause I didn't know what I was doing yet. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I don't know where I am. I'm glad you like this painting and you want to buy it. Awesome. But you know, I look at my work from then now and I'm like, Oh my God, throw that yeah. out. It's terrible. You know? Um, and so It wasn't until about four years in, or maybe even five years in, that I, yeah, actually about five years in, that I was like, okay, I actually think I'm somewhere Mm -hmm. (laughs) with my Mm -hmm. art. I actually respect my own work deeply. I could actually see it in the Whitney Biennial. Like, I could literally walk through the front door of the Whitney with my painting and feel confident mm. right
1: mm-hmm. and so
0: then I started transitioning and I stopped well some of my prints are still on one king's lane but I stopped doing new collections of prints with them I I backed off a little bit of the interior design kind of stuff and I started getting more and more focused on galleries, exhibitions, residencies, and shows, mm-hmm. um, and and that's where I am right now. Like I'm, yeah. I'm really transitioning, and I, you know, I have some big goals. I have, I have my first real solo show at a ga- at a real gallery. <laughs>
1: Congratulations! <laughs> um, coming up this
0: February at Southport Gallery in Connecticut. Very cool. um, and I did my first um, like teaching. Uh, what do they call it? I forget what she called it, but it, like a visiting artist oh, at, cool. the, at the Aldrich Contemporary Art Museum in Ridgefield, Connecticut. Um, and so yeah, I'm like I'm starting to transition into getting into places where I feel like my work will be more appreciated and yeah taken more seriously, right? Because I am yeah. commenting on the world and, and the art world itself. And my work has a lot of deep meaning behind it. It's, it's not just pretty colors over yeah. your couch, you know, right. which I have nothing against and I love it. And, I, and even if I am in the Whitney, I want my painting over your couch, yeah. right? Like that yeah. is what my paintings are for, right? It's not <laughs> anything else. Um, which I think is a political statement in and of itself, but that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> so, yeah.
1: The, I, I hope I answered yeah. your
0: question. <laughs>
1: no, absolutely. And you answered it and more because I really love what you said. But, you know, especially in those first couple of years, you're like, yeah, I'm just making peace with like, I am doing commercial art and that's good and fine and wonderful since I, I need the money to make the art to keep going. Yeah. And holding that intention and and seeing yourself that like yeah. and I'm on the road to more depth and yeah. seeing your art as as both I think that's all really um, yeah and actually profound. I just want to say
0: I yeah. get I get reached um, young artists reach out to me all the time or people who are just starting out reach out to me all the time on Instagram and the the common thread I hear in what they're asking me and what and what they're struggling with is like. You know they've been painting for six months and they are upset mm-hmm. that they haven't made it. Like, why doesn't a gallery want me? Why does? Yeah. It... And they never like my answer, which is like, you've got about six to eight years to go. Yeah, you got to put in the work. Totally. You don't just throw paint on a canvas and think you're you've gotten anywhere. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure there's some prodigies or whatever but um it's work it takes practice it's called practice and process for a reason (laughs) right yeah it's a process
1: not to mention in six to eight years if you keep going when you look back at your six month mark you will be so glad that you were not in a gallery at that point in time and that you were not discovered (laughs) it doesn't feel like that in the moment but i promise it will be true (laughs) it's so true so true but it also, uh, yeah.
0: you know, it doesn't mean you can't be selling work all totally. the way. Just yeah. understand where you are in the grand scheme of things.
1: Absolutely. You know, hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. So important. Okay. So one of the last like topics uh, that I'm excited to talk to you about is I know that you go to Burning Man every year and I saw yes. that you <laughs> exhibit at Burning Man. Yes. And um, I am planning on going for my first time this year. Wow! Cool. Yeah, I'm very excited. <laughs> and but um, I'm really curious that you exhibit your work there. So mm. I'm like, what does that look like? Do you bring it in the dust? Do you burn it after? Do you plan for it? Like, tell me. I'm so curious. <laughs>
0: <laughs> awesome. Well, I do two different projects every year. Okay. They're both called the same thing, which is burned alive. Mm. Um, and it's kind of a play on words, meaning burning you know burning man makes people alive
1: Mm.
0: and um i actually forgot to tell you this part but it was at burning man where i first painted that summer when i had to quit my job and i got lyme disease and i went to burning man and i decided to bring this little watercolor book with me and my little water travel watercolors and I started painting there and that's when it like really very cool really first started um but anyway um the project that one of the projects I do is um I paint I just live paint at um a place called center camp at burning man um which is exactly what it sounds like it's the it's this big giant tent that's at kind of dead center and center camp is a cafe actually and they serve coffee and it's fabulous and espresso and all kinds of fun drinks and it's the only thing at burning man that is actually for sale it's the only thing you can oh, buy okay well, well buy actually, once you're there <laughs> buy once you're there yeah yeah like, so actually there's two things you can buy ice and yeah. you can buy coffee, and that's it. Okay. There is no other exchange of money. But anyway, I sit at Center Camp, and I paint in my sketchbook, and then I, they have these little kiosks set up, and I register for one in advance. And then every day, I just post up my paintings on the kiosk, and I leave them up there for the whole time I'm there. And then um, sometimes I give them away to people as gifts. Mm. Um, and sometimes I just take them home with me, but I do not burn them
1: okay i it. love them <laughs> you're like it's, not
0: not burning that not
1: with that yeah <laughs> yeah
0: but the other project i do there is um with these prayer sticks that i make well i don't make them they're laser cut for me okay <laughs> these wooden prayer sticks um and it's the shape of a temple at the top and it's the the burning man the man in the middle and then it's just like this flat piece of wood and then I, um, this year I made 5,000 of them. Wow. Um, and every year I've been making more and more and more. started out with 500 and then 1,000, 3,000. And then this year is 5,000. Um, and I have, so I have boxes and boxes of them and I bring them to center camp and people just take them to write like a prayer mm. or, you know, like let something go or whatever, you know, whatever they want to write say goodbye to a loved one write a dream for the year write some you know goal they have and you know the the simple direction i give them is it says take me to your temple and so people write on them and they bring them to the temple which is this huge structure at burning man which is literally a wooden temple that gets burned down which is like such a sacred beautiful place that gets filled with people's messages, letters, you know, all kinds of um, items, shoes, or whatever of, of things people wanna let go of and burn and say goodbye to. Um, and so people bring these prayer sticks to the temple to write something on and, and let it go. And so that's mm. the other project that I do.
1: I love that. That's yeah. so cool. Yeah.
0: This is going to be, this summer will be my 10th, my 10 year oh, wow, Burning Man.
1: That's yeah. so exciting. Yeah,
0: awesome. It is. I love Burning Man. I brought my, <laughs> I brought my son to the last year and the year before, who was 16 when I brought him the first time, 17 this time. And just, I mean, literally the best education I could have ever given him was at oh, Burning cool. Man. Like instant adulting. (laughs) Mm,
1: That's so, I bet, did he love it? Oh my God. (laughs) I mean, 16 year old going to Burning Man, I bet he was pretty excited. (laughs) He
0: was very happy, very
1: happy. Oh, that's so awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I knew that that was like, just from following you on Instagram, like a little piece of you. So I wanted to somehow pull that into the conversation and and I'm just genuinely curious and maybe I'm going to see you at center camp. We'll see. you probably
0: will I'm there every day it's like my it's my spot you know so you know there's so much to do at Burning Man um I'm a daytime person some people like to go out all night to all the you know parties and dancing and all that but I'm I'm more of a daytime person and I love to sit at center camp and paint and Mm. talk to strangers it's the best talking to strangers like so much
1: fun (laughs) My introverted self will be pushed to an edge, but that's Oh, good.
0: my god! <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: So before we do a final closing, I have just a intimate, semi-rapid uh, fire round, if you're open to doing that. Sure. Okay. So these are all just finish the sentence. Okay. Okay. So the first sentence is, if someone really knew me, they would know.
0: That might. My- That I'm really sensitive.
1: Mm. (laughs) Okay. The second one is art is. Fun. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The color of my soul is. Hot pink. Oh, yes. Neon. Neon. (laughs) Let's be clear. (laughs) Um, And the last one is I honor my art by. Keep,
0: keeping painting.
1: Mm.
0: painting, 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 painting.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much comes down to that. <laughs> yeah. Totally. Uh, so, so wonderful. So um, I know you mentioned, I want to talk about like what you have coming up and where we can find you. I know you mentioned your show. Um, is there any other details about that you want to share or anything else that you'd like to share and then where can we sure. find you?
0: Yeah. Um, my show Opens on February 13th at Southport Galleries in Southport, Connecticut. Cool. Um, I'm also having, uh, open studios in November of 2020. I believe it's November 11th and 12th. It's the second weekend in November every year. Um, so if you're in around Bridgeport, Connecticut, come on down. It's a fun weekend. There's about 20 artists in my building. And um, we all open our studios, and it's a really fun weekend. Um, And I have a couple, a bunch of other things in the works, but um, those are my two big shows this year. Um, And, yeah, you can find me on Instagram, of course. Uh, I'm at L-N-M-O-P. The N and the M are backwards because I'm dyslexic. (laughs) (laughs) I actually didn't realize that I had...
1: It was like an actual accident. It was an actual accident. Like, You're just like, this is what it is now. It's just... Right.
0: I, didn't, my, I think my husband corrected me at one point. I was like, wait a second, really? The M <laughs> comes before the N? He was like, yeah,
1: it really does.
0: <laughs> yeah. Great. Um, yeah, and my website's lindacoletta.com. Two L's, okay. two T's that's
1: where I am. Wonderful. Um, well, we'll <laughs> definitely link to all that. Awesome. And thank you so much for being here. This has been such an informative and fun and real conversation. And I just, I really appreciate it. And I've, yeah. I've really appreciated following you over the years. So oh, thank you so Very much. Happy I to appreciate have you on. it too. Yeah. Great. Well, we will hopefully be in touch and maybe see each other at Burning Man. <laughs> yes. I would love that. <laughs> I told you, you might want a pen and paper for that episode. I just love how generous Linda is with her experience and her knowledge. And I know that after having this conversation, I felt really excited to implement some of the tips that she shared. So really, really grateful for Linda and her voice in the community. You can check out Linda and her work with the links in the show notes. And I highly recommend that you do. Her art is something that you must see. It is so full of energy and expressive and really, really uniquely her. Um, It's a real gift to take in, so please go visit those links. And on that note of having a voice that is really your own, if you are an aspiring artist who wants to get your work out there and really wants to be known for your own language and unique style... I want to point you in the direction of a free resource that I created for artists. And it's called the five things blocking you from your unique creative voice. And I created this after years of working with artists and seeing the same blocks come up over and over again. And the thing about these blocks is they're not so obvious. They're not actually what you would think. And I noticed that once we could identify what was holding someone back or acting as this kind of wall between their creative energy and their most authentic style, they could really start to take off and own who they were as an artist. So the link to that resource is devinwalls.com backslash resources. Again, it's totally free and you can find that link in the show notes. As for the podcast, this is a really exciting time where next week there are two episodes coming out. The first one is a solo deep dive where I go into exactly what my journey has been with creating a sustainable art business. I am a highly sensitive person that cannot push myself to overwork, and it's been a really big learning curve to discover how I can craft my business in a way where I still have lots of time to make art and I can still be successful. So I'm going to be sharing with you exactly what I've done to do that, some of the mistakes I've made, and how you can start to implement that as well. Following that episode, we have an interview with Taylor Lee, which is so juicy and nourishing. And she talks about how we can start to craft and hone our unique story uh, to sell our work and get our work out there. She shares some really beautiful, vulnerable things about how she weaves her story into her work and exactly how she presents her message to her audience. So you definitely do not want to miss either of those. If you're enjoying these episodes of the Art and Magic podcast, definitely hit the subscribe button because when you do that, new episodes will magically find their way into your queue and you don't have to search for us every time. And if you want to show your support for the podcast, ratings and reviews are extremely appreciated. They really help us to get the show out there. And I would also love if you found me on Instagram. My handle is at Devin Walls Art. Uh, please send me a DM. Let me know how these episodes are landing with you. And if one particularly resonated with you, sharing and tagging me is so appreciated. So that is all we have for today. I'm sending you lots of love and tons of magic. I will see you next time.